Welcome to the Ark and Ant podcast. It is another episode today about the study of people, and I'm your host, Michael. We have on the program Melissa McCarthy. Melissa, are you there? Yes. Hello. Good morning. And good afternoon from The Hague. Where are you calling in from? I'm calling from Atlanta, Georgia. Amazing. Are you enjoying your, your Friday so far, Melissa? Is Friday always a relief for you when it comes? Friday is a relief because as a full-time graduate student at Georgia State University, I am in classes Monday through Thursday. Mm-hmm. So Friday morning, I, I get to sleep in by an hour or two, yep. have my coffee slowly rather than on the go. So yes, Friday mornings are great. (laughs) So what are you studying at Georgia State? At Georgia State, I am um, a master's of arts candidate in bioarchaeology. And my focus is in dental anthropology. Cool. Is it a big group that you're working with? Do you have a lot of colleagues that are um, working on teeth or working on other aspects of of bioarchaeology? Excitingly, yes. The cohort for this fall semester is one of the largest in, I believe, um, the history of GSU Anthropology's department's um, uh, intake of graduate students. I believe there are 23, 22, 23 new graduate students. And it's an exciting mix of all four uh, anthropology disciplines. There's lots of emphasis in archaeology, bioanthropology, lots of cultural, and then stemming from all of those are people interested in medical anthropology or urban anthropology, bioarchaeology. It's it's a fantastic program, and it's exciting to see where every every direction people, that people are going. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example of like one of your typical work days? I know that you just began the program. So if you didn't have to appear on a podcast, what, what would your <laughs> typical day look like? So typically, okay, so this semester I am taking courses required of me as a, a first semester graduate student. And that involves a bioanthropology methods course, and I'm taking a forensic anthropology course, which is my third forensic anthropology course. Um, And let's see, I'm also taking seminar in anthropology, which is an important class because it delves into the fundamentals of anthropology theory. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also taking uh, human biology, not just the human anatomical structure, but epigenetic, et cetera, all the fun of that. Um, mm-hmm. And the coursework is not as um, intense as I worried it would be <laughs> over the sum- over the summer. I was like, oh, I'm just going to be bombarded with work. <laughs> and fortunately, it's an easygoing semester so far. Um, cool. Well, I, I know that earlier you mentioned uh, dental anthropology specifically. And uh, I remember when I was an undergraduate and when I was even a master's student, I didn't have much interaction with uh, working with teeth and the dental tissues until I was a PhD student. I was wondering, like, what in particular drew you towards doing research with teeth? Yay. Okay, great. Um, So in the summer of 2018, I participated in the NSFRU field school um, called Exploring Globalization Through Archaeology. And that was through Texas State University, San Marcos, with Dr. Todd Allman and Dr. Ashley McCallan. I was fortunate enough to have this experience because it gave me the opportunity 
for the first time ever to trowel and collect dirt into a bucket and sift it. <laughs> and um, within sifting, of course, I found the pumice stones and the coral because we were on, the, on, a, um, on an island. The first human element that I found was a left maxillary one. And of course, I didn't know it then. I just knew, oh my God, it's a human, human tooth. And it's got three roots. So yeah. it's a maxillary. I remember this. I'm retaining all this information from human osteology. So yes, it's a, it's a maxillary. Um, and I just, I just, it just was like a ray of sunshine. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to look at teeth. And I'm so fascinated by it. I want to know what, where this individual, I mean, where this tooth came from. And yeah, it's just sparked so much interest in me. Mm -hmm. a, lo a lot of my previous guests also really love teeth. Oh, okay. um, yeah, like a lot of them. Oh, great. <laughs> Cutting into teeth, getting isotopes from teeth. And also, just like you, I think, looking at dental health. So what kinds of questions were you sort of tasked with looking at when you were doing the REU? So the, R the NSF REU program was, um, it, it was an international eight-week summer program in the Caribbean, the Dutch Caribbean on an island called St. Eustatius. And um, it was designed for students to gain research skills in the fields of archeology span and forensic archeology, span which was really my point of interest. Specifically, I wanted to explore dental health of these individuals at this cemetery in St. Eustatius. I wanted to see what kind of um, dental pathologies existed on the teeth samples. I was looking at dental caries, enamel attrition, um, <clears throat> dental calculus. I was really hoping to find um, like linear enamel hypoplasia to see if maybe I could work with um, nutritional deficiencies uh, throughout childhood. Um, mm -hmm. But the dental samples I did have did not have evidence of linear enamel hypoplasias, but rather lots of caries, lots of calculus, um, and lots of um, uh, pipe wear facets in the incisors. Mm -hmm. So it indicated that there were individuals on this island that were heavy clay pipe smokers. Wow. So what, what do those like oral health indicators mean about the people who are living there? Did you try to relate it to the other kinds of archaeological finds that were, you know, that, that were known already? Good question. So the, the cemetery that we were excavating from had been worked on as early as 2012. And this population the island's population of people goes as far back as, of course, indigenous people. Um, we were trying to determine if these individuals buried there were uh, enslaved Africans, freed Africans during the the um, 17th, 18th century mm -hmm. whole like slave trade market and all of that. Were they military personnel? We couldn't get too much into the um, like the social portions of the island at that time but based on the fact that it was sugar cane plantation meant for export and tobacco exports high carbohydrates heavy pipe smoking 
yeah, there was just indication that those natural material were available for these people to use. Mm -hmm. Did you look at anything else in the skeleton, like besides the teeth? Aside from excavating and then returning to Texas State University in San Marcos for the second portion of the field school, which was lab analysis, we were able to build the skeleton, rebuild the skeleton in the lab. Um, but I, aside from rebuilding the skeleton, I didn't really focus on um, skeletal analysis. I was just mm -hmm. focusing on the teeth. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> I was kind of like, um, cause I was like taking a peek at like what your poster was about and oh, I was yeah. looking uh -huh. at activity indicators and I was wondering about those. So the activity indicators. So I just really wanted to see what kind of dental wear was present. There were, like I said, the evidence of the pipe wear facets and you could see in other parts of the, the cemetery that was excavated, there were actual pipe stems. So you can correlate the pipe stems with the pipe wear facets in the teeth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was just the preliminary research that I did. <laughs> okay. Is, was it easy to, um, you know, take notes of calculus and carries? When I've done it myself, I'm, um, you know, like using a scoring system for the amount of wear or the amount of carries. Is that similar to what you did? Yes. So we did use standards. We did use the standards to score dental wear and also dental calculus that was present. We were just, that's how we were scoring everything on the teeth. It, it takes practice because <laughs> observing a tooth sample and, you know, holding it up to the illustration in a copy of standards is complicated. It's like, eh, I don't really see it. Um, mm -hmm. And it just takes practice. And after a while, it does become easier. Uh, and it can be very subjective. Right. But you just have to um, not only just look at the pictures, but you also have to read mm -hmm. <laughs> the details behind the illustrations. Can you say whether you like doing uh, excavation and field work more or doing lab analysis more? Oh, boy. Okay, so... I am a tactile learner. <laughs> I love to get my hands into the um, into the elements. I am able to synthesize the information better that way. Um, so yes, on that regards, I absolutely love excavating. I love getting my hands dirty. Um, I love the meditative process of sifting. I was one of the few on my cohort to actually admit that but um because it is so laborious i guess but it's <laughs> so much fun to me a lot of archaeologists don't like that part <laughs> <laughs> i you know it's just it was a thing that i got into and i just i really enjoyed it um but i also love the puzzle piecing that occurs in, in the lab. Mm -hmm. What were some of the like biggest challenges of doing the REU? I wouldn't say that there are any challenges to being an REU participant because the process is so user-friendly. They really encourage students to live their best life, their best academic life. Mm -hmm. They want students to have this art experience um, because it'll better prepare them for uh, 
career as a graduate student and beyond. Um, application process, the application process for me was relatively easy. Um, it required a personal statement, two or three letters of recommendation, and I believe a writing sample. Um, and it, it's an experience that I hope all budding anthropologists are able to to put on their CV because it's 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 so much fun, it's so rewarding, and it's 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 exciting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I know that you have listened to some of the other episodes of the podcast. I have. And some of them are also um, participants in another REU that took place this summer. Yes. What did you think about it, like listening to other people's REU experiences? You guys are so awesome. And I am so, uh, I just get so excited because I remember my REU experience last summer and hearing you guys with that fresh perspective on, on, on your experience has just been so, so wonderful to hear you all. I can hear your excitement and it's great. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know that you have worked in a number of different capacities before you started getting into anthropology. Can you give a like a quick rundown of like the different sorts of jobs that you did before this? Yes. So I am a non-traditional college student. I um, throughout my twenties, I was a shelter medicine veterinary technician working um, at a nonprofit shelter in. The Bay Area of California. Amazing experience, super important work. Um, it's not just about helping the community, helping the homeless animals, it's also about um, uh, education, um, about spay neuter advocacy, um, overall health of the animals. And that was really fun. I really like the. Um, the community aspect of being a veterinary technician. And then I just felt after that, I just needed to keep going and move on and change a little bit. So I decided to go back to school. I really loved the aspect of phlebotomy. So I thought I wanted to be a medical assistant where I could poke needles in people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought that would be very satisfying. Um, but there's more to it than that. <laughs> um, and, and that was, I didn't want to be more into it than that. <laughs> so generally speaking, I, I knew that uh, working with people in a healthcare environment was not the mm -hmm. course in life I wanted to pursue. So in that regard, I decided to go back to school. I had not ever been to college, so I was a almost, yeah, I was about 31. Oh gosh, I'm gonna <laughs> age myself. But I was about 31 mm -hmm. when I went back to school. I started at Merritt College in Oakland, California. It is one of the four colleges through Peralta Community Colleges. And there I went on and just powered through all of the requirements um, needed to receive an AA in social science. Right. 
And one of the required courses was anatomy and physiology. And I thought that it would be interesting because of the experience I'd had as a medical assistant, um, but I had not looked at um, human tissue under a microscope before. And when I did see Mm -hmm. the histology of human osseous tissue again, um, well, actually, yeah, that was the first ray of light that hit me that I was like, okay, I want to work with human Mm -hmm. bones. This is an incredible image. I think it's, it's fantastic. And I want to keep Mm -hmm. going with this. So I have been pursuing. So I went on it and and received my AA in anthropology and social science. And then I transferred to California State University, Sacramento. And there I received my, uh, Bachelor's of Arts in Anthropology, which I just graduated last summer, last May 2019. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I was, um, it was an exciting experience. You know, you know, graduation is an exciting experience as a whole, no matter what age you are. But um, I had fun because I was the commencement speaker, the student commencement speaker. And, um, there's nothing like really putting yourself in a position of absolute fear <laughs> that makes you <laughs> really want to just like do your best. <laughs> and I hope, yeah. I hope I was able to deliver a speech that resonated with my peers and my, my, uh, the faculty at the anthropology department at Sac State. Uh, yeah. I know what it feels like to uh, sort of be the host of a party and have to, um, you know, <laughs> Yeah. beyond you know in a way like performing and um and but also like trying to say things that are resonant with other people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what kinds of things did you talk about in your speech so my speech consisted of just oh just oh gosh <laughs> now i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> um my speech it was one of those speeches that um i only had two minutes to address it and it took me five minutes to memorize and I had to practice it for three months Mm. and I had it in my brain for so long that I just let it go once I (laughs) once I delivered it but in general my my speech was just addressing um the graduating class of 2019 um I wanted to show off my research skills (laughs) so that I could actually demonstrate that I learned something, but <laughs> I did the, um, the math and found that there was a significant portion of this, the graduating class that was uh, first generation college students. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give them a shout out, um, shout out to the transfer students and also the low income students. Um, because college is hard and college is an individual experience. And, um, and it's it's a rewarding experience. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you um, you know you you worked for many years before you uh, entered college for the first time. Mm-hmm. When you were first at college, did you find that uh, a difficult transition? Yes, absolutely. Not only the age differences, but also the structure of academia. You know, being in the work 
fields. Um, you're on your feet, you're moving, you're going, you're going. But in an academic setting, you're sitting, you're listening, you're reading. And it was a huge transition, uh, one of which um, took me quite some time to mm -hmm. adjust to. And perhaps I'm still adjusting to. Um, I'm constantly learning of or trying to develop new ways to be a better student as far as retaining the information learned in my readings and throughout lectures. Mm -hmm. I, I have a two-parter question now. So um, what, sure. what advice would you give to other people in, in the same position at the moment? And um, the second question is, what would you recommend to faculty or to people who are in charge of departments or teaching students what can they do to make it easier for students like like you? Okay, <clears throat> excellent questions. This is a, such a loaded question. I love it, <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out how to best answer it. Okay, because it's it's an it's an emotional experience too. Um, so the faculty of the faculty at universities have a huge job. Not only are they um, teaching, but they're also in a room with so many individuals who have so many different life stories, of course, right? Um, so as far as faculty who have students that are older or non-traditional, as it's called, um, I think in addition I mean, as well as they are, as faculty are supportive and patient with like freshmen <laughs> with their high energy, they should also um, be patient with the more shy, reserved uh, students who may not be so comfortable speaking up in class because what if their question really is stupid, <laughs> despite having been told that there are no stupid questions? I think really emphasizing that office hours are an important resource is something that faculty can really mm -hmm. put emphasis on. So um, I think a lot of listeners and even some of my previous guests, they're, you know, a little bit worried about their future careers, especially like if they can't really see a lot of options immediately outside the area that they're they're currently working or studying in now. What advice would you give to people about like life in general and how it twists and turns sometimes? Like how did you make your decisions to leave one kind of occupation to pursue another kind? Wow. <laughs> um, advice I have is um, go with it. <laughs> Follow what you really want to do because it's just going to nag at you if you don't <laughs> mm -hmm. um, really lean on your, your social network, your family uh, support, uh, lean into them. Um, in which case I have to shout out my husband who's really been very supportive of my uh, journey in, into getting my degrees and, and onward. Mm -hmm. um, and study hard. Um, and and speak up if there are any concerns whatsoever reach out because there are people out there happy to help mm -hmm. 
in the next, uh, for your master's right now, what do you hope to um, look at in terms of your research? I hope to delve into dental morphology and maybe even utilize dental metrics for estimated age of death of individuals found along the U.S.-Mexico border. That is a huge interest of mine, the humanitarian aspect of identifying skeletal mm-hmm. remains. Is, is using the teeth to help identify remains uh, a very common practice? It, it is, um, especially if there is a record of dental health in the living record of, of the individual. But as I was able to analyze in, in, in my field school, um, dental patterns can be reviewed in mm-hmm. those teeth samples. How do you find that your you know, previous experiences have influenced your, your research that you're doing today? More so, <laughs> well, big thing about me is that I'm pretty uh, tenacious. I really like to challenge myself, even though it puts me in a vulnerable position of um, feeling inadequate, (laughs) but I really like learning from the ground up. Um, So being in grad school has shown me that maybe I, you know, yeah, that I just don't know as much as I thought I did, (laughs) but I'm, I'm happy to keep going from here and learn from here. And that's, that's a life experience. Mm-hmm. What uh, kinds of like techniques do you want to learn while you're, you're there? Can you like help explain some of the, the methods that you're going to be using? I am so excited to utilize Georgia State University's Dental Microware Lab, um, founded by Dr. Uh, Frank Williams. He has curated multiple um, dental Um, plaques and molds and there's a lot of components to the lab as far as dental occlusal shape and using um but yeah looking at microware of teeth Mm -hmm. what can microware tell us that just looking at standard macroware like with the naked eye without using a microscope what can microware tell us that that we didn't know before we can look at microware and see abrasive food consumption and nutritional health throughout growth and development. Mm-hmm. And that would be like looking at the, the LEH that you mentioned earlier. Yes. Yeah. If uh, a tooth has linear enamel hypoplasia, what does it look like? Is it easy to identify? The view of it can be significant depending on the severity of nutritional defects throughout the development of the tooth but you could use the stereo microscopes to actually view more clearly any occlusal surface wear and scars. Mm -hmm. All right, Melissa, we are um, going to move towards the end of the show now. Is there somewhere that people can follow you online or perhaps ask you questions about your interview? Absolutely. So if there are any undergraduates out there that are interested in asking me more questions or even just getting some like clarity on what they're going to do after um, getting their bachelor's degree or even if they're interested interested in an REU uh, field school. Um, 
I will give Michael my email address and, and contact me through there. I, I also know that you do sort of like an educational Instagram account, don't you? I do. I do. It's, it's Instagram, so it's also social. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what sorts of things do you post on your Instagram? I like to post about, um, well, actually, I like to post about grad school woes because it's currently where I'm at in my head right now. But um, I really like to post about um, books that I'm reading or or books that I think are of interest to people that might see the hashtag or are following me. Um, I like to share a little bit of what I'm learning. And I also like to post pictures of me and my friends. Cool. Where, Where can people find that? Yes, it's osteology and me. So I guess I have to probably say the underscores. So it's osteology underscore and underscore me. Awesome. I know that you've also dedicated a lot of your time to helping in nonprofit and community organizations. Are there any in particular that you would like to you know, give a shout out to and raise awareness of? One organization that is important to me and to many others, and I think could use some acknowledgement uh, just for anyone's awareness and also for support is um, the Calibri Center, C-O-L-I-B-R-I center.org. Amazing. They identify human remains on the U.S.-Mexico border through comprehensive forensic research and reliable data on missing persons. Okay, that's great. Did you have any closing messages, any closing thoughts before we end the show? I would just like to say to all those listeners that are undergrads or graduate students or just all the students out there that are um, um, working so hard, you guys are awesome. Um, Keep it up. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, okay. Well, listeners, if you want to hear more episodes, then definitely subscribe to the show and download more episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else you find podcasts. I usually post new episodes and updates about the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit. You can find out how you can support the show, just like Melissa does, on patreon.com slash Pod. How are you enjoying being a patron so far? I enjoy it. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Oh, can I mention supporting ARC and AMP podcast? Of course. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's say that too. Yeah. I'm not going to say no to that. <laughs> Have you uh, enjoyed listening to the show? I do enjoy it. I think there's um, an exciting and diverse collection of people and it's inspiring to hear people in the, um, in in their in their research right um and uh, all of that information you can find at arcananth.com melissa thank you so much for being a guest on today's show and thank you michael for all that you do all your efforts that you put out there to highlight and feature budding anthropologists well thank you and listeners i'll have another episode out for you soon goodbye bye